Hey everyone, it's Avishek Saha with Stop Being Confused About Health. And today we have another case of orthorexia, a young man who got really into diet, fitness, and exercise, who came to realize that following your body and eating intuitively is the way to go. So before we get to the episode, I just have a few announcements. If you've been enjoying this podcast so far, feel free to leave a review on iTunes as that helps it get discovered. Now, I will say there are some things I'm trying to figure out with Google Hangouts. Sometimes it's a little glitchy when I download the audio, so I will work on improving that. But my plans for this podcast are to continue interviewing people who've gone on diets and had experiences that are counter to what the book selling these diets will tell you. And I think that will raise awareness that these these things can happen, that very bad experiences can happen. There's nothing wrong with that, just that we have to understand it and guide people back to a place of balance. I'm starting to get more case reports on a more regular basis from my viewers of very terrible things happening to them. And over the past five years, since I became more aware of these issues, there hasn't been any progress, any growth in discussing this. There has been no growth in orthorexia. It's been all about the fad diets and weight loss, the same thing. So my goal is to reverse that trend and be very consistent and more regular in talking about this. So if you have any other suggestions with the podcast, please let me know. If you have your own stories with diet failures, feel free to reach out to me at stopbeingconfusedabouthealth at gmail.com. My final announcement is that I am taking on more consulting and coaching clients. So I've been working in this field for 10 years. There's been a lot of self-study, a lot of study at the graduate level as well, and I've taken a leave of absence from my studies. Um, so all my credentials, you can find it on my website, but it's, it's not just about the credentials. It's about how well can you give someone individualized advice and really listen to them. So I think we're, we all know that oftentimes when you go to a medical professional, they just kind of prescribe something and don't really listen to what's really going on. So what I do is I take a very detailed case history of every client and look look at the big picture and aim to discover the root cause and treat the root cause of the person's problems. Now, of course, as a health coach, what I treat is just health. So I don't treat diseases or diagnose diseases, but I do work with your medical providers and medical practitioners in making sure that my role, I serve my role as a health coach and can help, you know, cover areas that maybe they cannot by spending more time. So if you're interested in that, I take on all clients. I would take I would take a look at the coaching page on stoppingandfusebuthealth.com slash coaching, which is linked below. And then after that, I recommend you email me about your condition. And then we schedule a very brief call and I tell you whether or not I think it's a good idea for us to move forward. So without further ado, here is the episode. Enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Abhishek with Stopping Infused But Health back for another episode, another interview of person just like you and me who went through a diet, didn't work out, it wasn't as glamorous as everyone says it was. So Chris of How To Be Human, he has a YouTube channel and an Instagram. I just have his Instagram in the description right now. So you can check it out. I'll add his YouTube later. He joins me today. He found my content. He told me I've had a very similar journey to you. So it's taken us a while to finally get together and let's see what his experience was. So Chris, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. So what is your story? Um, So <laughs> pretty similar to yours, actually. I think it started about like 
nine years ago. I got really interested in like veganism at that time. And uh, I went on a raw vegan diet for a while after doing a regular vegan diet and both were disastrous to my health. You know, <laughs> I, oh my I, God. Did, I did the regular vegan diet for maybe like eight or nine months, just like a whole food plant-based diet. And at first it was like, you know, incrementally better than uh, my diet before that, which was just like living off of Hot Pockets, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So I did that and uh, I kind of fell further into like, you know, just the cultish aspects of, uh, of just like disordered eating. So <laughs> I got into the, you know, like Dorian Ryder and Dr. Douglas mm -hmm. Graham and got into 80, 10, 10 and my health just deteriorated. Like <laughs> I started off at like 240 pounds at six foot two. I ended up around like 140 pounds at one point, just like a skeleton, you know? Wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. My teeth were basically falling out. My gums were bleeding. Um, I had like terrible IBS where I was like shitting like 12 times a day. Jesus. But, uh, you know, I had had eating disorders pretty much my whole life, even before that, where I was anorexic in, uh, in high school and middle school a little bit. And uh, I just wasn't eating much. You know, I was trying to stay, stay thin because I was a chubby kid growing up. So I would go in and out of like <laughs> eating like an apple and some tuna a day as a kid. But mm -hmm. um, after veganism, I went back to kind of like a balanced diet and uh as life stress kind of piled up, I kind of got back into other bad eating habits where I got into keto for a while after that. And uh, that wasn't the worst thing ever. You know, like it was at the time, it was very casual. I got into it and I was eating kind of a balanced, casual keto diet for a little bit for a few years off and on. It was like uh, lots of fish and nuts and olive oil, stuff like that. But uh, I came down with a really bad health problem. Um, let's see, maybe like four years ago called CPPS, which is chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Mm. And, and that was debilitating. And they thought I had like a bacterial prostate infection for a while. So they put me on antibiotics for a long time. And at that point, my gut was wrecked. So I was trying to figure out what to do uh, to fix that. And uh, this was before Sean Baker and stuff, but I got into like zero carbs in. Have you heard of that, that forum? No, I've, I've heard of the ZC community in general it's kind of an offshoot of keto and so on yeah but uh zero carbs then had a small niche community of people living off just like beef and water basically okay and uh i got into that and trying to fix my gut i got into that for a while and it seemed to help and i became really overzealous about that you know so i i kind of bought into the whole like just ancestral health thing you know um the very fringe element of that it was more than the Western A price camp. It was just like beef and water. That's all humans are supposed to eat. And um, because, uh -huh. of the because of the pain I was in, I was pretty desperate and, uh, and gullible at the time because chronic pelvic pain syndrome is incredibly painful. And uh, my life was pretty much over at that point. I was like bedridden and uh, I couldn't work. Wow. So I decided that I was going to keep doing that. Even though I didn't feel great in most ways, the... Um, it seemed to help my stomach, especially after the antibiotics that I had been on for chronic pelvic pain syndrome, which were unnecessary because it didn't solve the problem. But uh, I did I did the carnivore diet for about a year, maybe a year and a half, pretty strict for about a year. And then I slowly started tapering off of that. But um, because of the help I received from it temporarily, um, especially from the antibiotics, I, I had developed a real attachment to it. Hmm. You know, 
and it took um it took a couple of years after that to slowly kind of transition out of it and realize how how I was using um fad diets and extreme diets to kind of cope with um anxiety or emotional problems stuff like that and the attachments I had I had formed with those you know okay all right so let's back up a little bit could you describe you said you had anorexia did you were you diagnosed with that when you're a teenager no i wasn't i wasn't diagnosed okay but you just like kind of starved yourself wanted to be thin yeah so i was just always kind of a chubby kid growing up i you know grew up eating whatever my parents just let me snack all the time and eat fast food constantly so i was an overweight kid and uh at one point, I'm not sure. I'm not sure when it happened, but probably in middle school at some point, I just realized that if I just stopped eating, that I would lose weight, you know. <laughs> and so I did, and I and I had people around me be like, "Oh, you look really good. You know, you look you look thinner or whatever." So I formed some kind of attachment to that, like you know, being thin was a positive thing. And I remember one point, and I think in middle school around the eighth grade, I was playing a ton of basketball, and uh, I would be lightheaded all the time, and. <laughs> I would play through it hardly eating and I could see like my ribs and stuff, you know, and it was, it was gross, but I didn't realize that at the time. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, I ask because so many kids today, their pressure to look a certain way with social media and all that it, before social media was magazine. So anorexia has kind of been around since the eighties or so. And the pressure to fit in can cause people to want to lose weight. It's called stigma. There's a stigma around being fat and it causes people to go on diets. And then it's an interesting origin for, for some of this stuff. So to catch people up to speed, your gut got so bad, your teeth got so bad on this 80-10-10 Dr. Douglas Graham diet, the durian rider nonsense, raw veganism. There's an allure to it. And it's kind of died down now, but I remember, you know, 10 years ago, it was, it was maybe a little more popular. I'm not sure. Um, I just know I was interested in it. Um, so you got into keto and your gut improved, but then why didn't you kind of, why did you not stick to it? Um, well, when I was doing it, I was at a, a little more casual approach to it a long time ago before carnivore, where I would do it for you know, maybe uh, a month at a time, a couple weeks at a time, then I go back and eat. It was almost like a maintenance diet for me at the time. You know, I would, if I wanted to maybe cut down some water weight or something, I would do it for a while. And then I would go back to eating whatever, you know, so I wasn't really experimenting with a, a more balanced, healthy diet. Um, when getting off of keto, it was kind of like all or nothing. It was like, I'm gonna be strict on keto, or I'm gonna eat whatever. So I never, at that time, I didn't really experiment with just eating a, a well-rounded whole food diet to see what would happen. I mean, now I know that my weight is, can be exactly the same and my performance is better like that. But at the time, I didn't know. Right. Okay. And so you, so then you also had this CPPS, chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Do you believe that that was caused by kind of weight loss and malnutrition from the vegan diets? Um, it's hard to say. I, I think a lot of it, maybe some of it has to do with nutrition. I think a lot of it had to do with chronic anxiety. I think, I think that chronic stress and anxiety is the biggest component in that. And I think there's some psychosomatic elements to that as well. So, um, I talk to people online a lot about CPPS and try to help them through it. But, um, some people are interested in diet, um, as far as curing that, but I don't think it's a major element. Okay. Yeah. And I just, I wasn't clear on that connection there. So yeah, there's, there's anxiety. There's also this stuff going on. And so then you did 
the so you did the beef and water diet, which is basically kind of like a carnivore diet. I know that now Sean Baker mostly eats pretty much just like beef and water, right? Yeah, yeah. And I I imagine he got into it from the, some of the same forums that I saw years back. Sean Baker kind of came onto the scene probably about a a year into when I was already into into the carnivore diet. So so around what year how many years ago did you discover zero carb zen is that what it's called yeah i think that was the name of the forum um i don't know the exact timeline but probably like three years ago something like that is when i discovered it i would say that's relatively recent actually that's not super long ago um and then could you no, just that, that forum's been around for probably like 15 years something like that but yeah i found it wow I found it like yeah yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see how these movements develop. So I, you know, a lot of diet culture eating disorders have been around for decades now, and this is new knowledge to me. Maybe there's been a zero carb community, very passionate community for maybe over a decade and a half. That's pretty uh, interesting. I wouldn't say really pa passionate, but it's, it was very niche and fringe. You know, there was, there was a handful of people who were in it. It's like, if you go to zero carbs and a lot of the articles on it are pretty old, I think dating okay. back to maybe even the early 2000s or maybe even 90s. I'm not sure. Okay. And would, do you feel like there's any overlap between the types of behaviors that you saw, the cultish mentality and raw veganism and 80-10-10 and in the zero-carb community? Um, yeah. I mean, just the there's a hyperbolic like kind of attitude towards a response to certain foods and what they do to you. Um, I, I'm not going to speak for everyone because maybe people really are experiencing those things. Um, there is some overlap. I will say if you had to choose between living off of all plants or all meat, I would, I would definitely choose all meat. You know, it's neither are ideal, but one is less likely to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I would probably, you know, I obviously love being an omnivore, but I would definitely eat all meat versus all plants as well if I had to choose. Yeah. Um, so how long did you do just beef and water diet um about a year about a year and then i slowly started um kind of like introducing new things but uh yeah i was desperate so i, I held on to it longer than i should have even though i felt like shit yeah how did you feel on the diet i mean initially so right before that you were you had cpps develop and um gut issues yeah is that correct yeah Okay. And so when you say you were desperate, you, you were desperate to cure the gut issues and the CPPS or just the gut issues? Well, both, you know, I kind of, I didn't really know which one to tackle or, you know, or, you know, how to go about it. So, um, having the gut calm down definitely helped with the CPPS for a little bit because, you know, the, the gut and the pelvic floor are very, you know, interconnected. If you have pressure on one, then it's going to affect the pressure and, you know, in your pelvic girdle. So, yeah. Right. So what kinds of gut issues did you have? Like indigestion, reactivity to foods? Uh, tons. Yeah, I wasn't digesting just about anything. Like uh, because of the, I was on a very, very heavy dose of antibiotics for a little bit for almost three months. And uh, they, you know, when people, doctors don't really understand chronic pelvic pain syndrome, a lot of the time they'll think that it's a bacterial infection. Even if they don't sample any bacteria, they'll think it's like some deep biofilm infection. So they'll give you a really high dosage and, uh, my gut was so destroyed. I had, I had oral thrush, you know, I was like, I wasn't digesting anything. Like if I ate anything fibrous at all, it was just coming right out of me, you know, like I would just be shitting out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, broccoli that's crazy. Or fiber. Yeah. 
So uh, before you got the CPPS diagnosis, they gave you antibiotics? Well, no one ever diagnosed me with CPPS. I, ha I had to do that myself and I had to learn okay. about, I had to learn about what CPPS was because I went to a bunch of specialists and no one had any idea what they were talking about. You know, I would, they were just giving me tons of different drugs just to see what would happen. And um, everyone was pretty clueless. So I had to educate myself on the, the actual emotional element of CPPS and start healing that way. Yeah, that's, that's great that you are acknowledging this emotional psychosomatic causes of illness because a lot of people in the diet communities have this belief that everything kind of revolves around the diet so what improved following beef beef and water diet um bloating um i wasn't i didn't have to shit like 12 times a day uh <laughs> um those are the biggest things for me my you know just not having that constant bloating that was that was the biggest plus and it was a big enough plus that I stuck with it for, for a while, you know? Okay, great. And how long, how long did that improvement last for? That lasted the whole time I was on the diet. I mean, I never, I didn't have a problem with bloating or um, indigestion when I was eating just meat. Okay. And eventually after a year, you started to change it up. So what did you, what did you start changing in your diet at that point? <sighs> Well, I was, uh, I was slowly starting to introduce more, um, just carbohydrate or sugar from animal sources at first. So I would be, you know, I would drink uh, more milk or yogurt that was sweetened, maybe, um, raw honey at first. Cause I was still really attached to the idea of plant foods being you know, a negative thing. So even though I know, I knew my body was like screaming for carbohydrate, I was trying to avoid plant foods at first. And, uh, and then I, I did like kind of like a fruit and fruit and meat based sort of plan where it was, uh, you know, I would cycle some fruits in and stuff like that. But uh, that wasn't really enough to get me over the energetic hump. Like I was I, I had so little energy that whole year eating meat that I'm a I'm a pretty active person. I try to be at least, you know, I like to work out. I like to hike. I like to you know ride my bike. Um, but I couldn't really do any of those things like I could lift minimally when I was you know, on the carnivore diet, but that was about it. And then I just be fucking, I'd be bedridden the rest right. of the time, you know? <laughs> Did you have any of the symptoms of what people call the keto flu on the diet? So brain fog, lethargy. Um, I, yeah, no headaches. Yes. Some people do have headaches on it. Uh, brain fog's a big one though. Did you, did you have any of that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My brain wasn't operating. You know, I, I was firing on no cylinders. So, um, it was hard for me to string sentences together or to um, be focused on, on art or, you know, read or do right. <laughs> or even work out. out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know some people seem to respond really well to being in the ketogenic state, um, but I'm not one of those people. I never responded well to it. No matter how much I up my fat or, you know, played with electrolytes and, you know, uh, sodium and magnesium and potassium, none of those things seem to make much of a difference at all. Right. Yeah. I'm just beginning to kind of research this, this claim that electrolyte supplementation will cure the keto flu. It's a bit suspect because, you know, you shouldn't have low levels of electrolytes in your blood unless there's something wrong with your organs and they're not excreting things properly. Um, or it could be like really high blood ketones ca causing some kind of diuretic effect. But um, yeah, so what did you eat? Did you just eat steak? Did you eat ground beef? What was that like? Um, whatever I could afford at the time. So it was a very heavily beef based diet, you know, so 
a ribeye was probably the number one thing that I ate when I could afford it. I would eat, you know, sometimes two to three pounds a day with some additional fat. If I needed to typically grass fed butter would be the additional fat. That's what I could afford. Sometimes it'd be ground beef. Um, I still ate, I still ate seafood. So I still ate, um, you know, some, some salmon and tuna and stuff. But, uh, I try to make sure that my fat intake was at least adequate, you know, not, not super low. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things people say to cure keto flu is, you know, up the fat, up the salt. Sounds like you did give that a shot. I mean, did you eat the five grams of salt recommendation? I never counted. So I don't know. I don't know the exact amount, yeah. but I would just, I would salt the crap out of everything and I would add salt to water and I, you know, I would drink broth with, with salt as well. So, wow. you know, yeah. Yeah. Because the recommendation on the keto FAQ, FAQ is eat five grams of salt seems like a lot but um it's, yeah it's, it, and it's funny too because if you're looking at like the carnivore diet or keto is an ancestral diet and a proper human diet for human health uh when would humans have access to that much salt a day yeah is it's it, like you know, you'd have to have a salt cave and yeah. <laughs> just like dig it out every day or something have a stash when you're hiking do hunting hunting a animal just have salt in your pocket so that <laughs> when you get keto keto flu and you can't run anymore because your legs are shot, yeah. you just snort some salt and you feel isn't better. It, isn't it funny how when you eat carbohydrates, you don't have a problem with your electrolytes? It's weird. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't. I don't crave a lot of salt, but definitely when I had adrenal issues, I would try to supplement a little extra salt. It's a very symptomatic cure. So you up the fat, you know, low, low brain function, difficulty stringing sentences together. That's really interesting. I really like those kinds of um, symptoms because it's something we can all kind of relate to. So what after that, you started adding fruits and uh, could you describe this attachment you had to your beliefs? So you said you were attached to the idea of animal foods. How did that kind of affect your your decisions? Um. Yeah, I was attached to the idea of humans being carnivorous. Like to me, I think coming from a history of eating disorders, especially and like kind of attaching your identity to your eating patterns was a big problem for me. So when I was vegan, I was a militant vegan. You know, when I was, you know, when I was uh, doing the carnivore thing, I was, I was kind of preachy with people. You know, like maybe not super arrogant, but I would bring it up a lot and talk about it. So you form this attachment with like, okay, this is the knowledge that I have. And um, this is part of who I am. And then when you, when you go to break that, you start, you have to kind of change your identity a little bit. And it's a, it's not a healthy place to be in for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the six main factors that causes confusion about health, as I talk about how to stop being confused about health is attachment to beliefs. And it kind of makes it hard to transition and give yourself what you really need. So you said earlier that you felt that you were really hungry for carbohydrates, but because of this attachment, you had to, you drank milk for sugars and some fruits, but didn't really go all out. So could you just describe how you could tell that you needed carbohydrates? Um, well, I felt like I felt terrible. And I remember back to a time when I ate carbohydrates and I felt quite good. You know, like back when I was, I didn't have any eating disorders and I had energy to do things like I, you know, I remember back when, I, even when I was back on the 80, 10, 10 thing, right? Not an ideal diet, but I could ride my bike for 10 hours a day. Wow. No, pro no wow. problem. No okay. problem. And, uh, when I couldn't go out and ride my bike for 10 minutes without extreme exhaustion, uh, I knew something was, was off. And 
I had maintained a healthy weight, so I wasn't super underweight. You know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't starving myself. I was doing, I was following all of the advice to, you know, keep my electrolytes up and stuff. So I, when I started experimenting with a little bit of honey or, or milk and stuff, I'd feel a little bit better, you know, a little bit, I get a little pick me up and I'd be like, okay, this feels good. But because my diet was so fat, uh, so fat based, um, those, those little bits weren't, weren't enough for me to mm. have energy that I really wanted to have still. Yeah. I, I resonate with that a hundred percent. I just, I know what it's like to kind of be in the low carb diet and then give yourself a few carbs, but then I can still tell that, wait, I need more. But then for me, I remember being in this phase where I was afraid of the weight gain, the insulin, all these myths. So then I didn't really go all out. And then yeah. once I started just going for it, especially when I read Matt Stone's book and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to let go of, you know, abs and all this nonsense and just gain a little mm -hmm. fat. I definitely started to feel better. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, all of a sudden, I now I kind of want to drink some milk. I haven't had milk in <laughs> over a month. Um, I, I don't know why I just felt like taking a break. Um, no particular reason. And now all of a sudden, I feel like milk will be good. So I feel like a lot of a lot of humans do digest milk really well and have mm -hmm. zero problems with dairy. So um, when did you go to the next level after that and it started adding real carbs in that was a slow process where um i was i knew i needed to let go of these beliefs and experiment but i kept getting drawn back to low carb for over the course of like a year or so after i abandoned the carnivore diet so i would eat some potatoes or rice or something and uh my digestion wasn't very good at first eating these foods like i would have bloating problems and stuff and i go ah oh, see it's I, I you're not supposed to eat these foods so i would go back to eating a more meat-based diet for a while, but I'd feel bad. And I'd, it was a back and forth for a long time until I decided to just double down and and eat those foods regularly and see if my digestion bounced back to be able to actually uh, you know, process them. And I've noticed this trend too among, amongst a lot of people on a carnivorous diet. Um, the longer they're on it, the harder it is for them to kind of get their microbiome back up to speed with more plant food. And it, it may take some time for some people, but um, I got to the point where I can eat a lot of carbohydrate now a lot of plant food and um, my digestion is not terrible. Yeah, this is actually like a new area of nutrition science that I think nobody has studied yet. But I watched another video. This guy has like 80,000 subscribers talking about the carnivore diet. And he reported that a lot of his followers and himself, after being on this meat-based high-fat diet, when they reintroduce plant foods, they get more bloated and have all these issues they never had before. Yeah. So yeah, it could definitely be the microbiome um, and probably numerous other factors. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy that 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 happens to people. So what what you just said right there, I think, is really important for people who are trying to get off the diet because mm -hmm. that that vicious cycle. We saw that in a couple of interviews ago. Someone said, there, I think it was a guy, um, Croatian kid, eighteen from uh, in high school keto diet and he also got to the point where his digestion was so bad but from keto that he saw fibers in his stool stool undigested and then when he started adding plant foods again it it just didn't work out and so but he and he it was a vicious cycle so you kind of just went through with it and do you feel like now so you're said you've died you said your digestion isn't horrible mm -hmm. um do you feel like those gut issues that you had developed on veganism are you back to where you were then or is it a little bit better no it's a lot better than that um uh, i've had ibs my whole life so 
um just you know just a little too much stress and anxiety i think causes like your intestines to be a little overactive but uh you know now i digest things pretty well maybe not as well as a perfectly healthy person but um you know maybe i go to the bathroom three or four times a day which is more than i would like but it's not as bad as a 12 as a vegan you know so oh absolutely yeah okay <laughs> well so that's good what do you think caused that your uh, okay so you had ibs your whole life so just confirm for me then. So it got worse on keto, keto, or it got worse on veganism, or was that a oh, different yeah. digestive issue? No, yeah, I got it a lot worse as a vegan. I got a lot worse. Okay, yeah. so you had you had stools throughout the day, um, very disruptive, yeah. and now it is better. What do you think has caused that to get better? Do you think it was dealing with anxiety, or is it diet? All of it. It's probably all of it. I mean, I think if I were to go, go back to a strictly vegan diet again, I'd be just as bad as I was in the past for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, and I, my, like, for example, like as a vegan, maybe sometimes you might be getting, you know, up to 80 grams of fiber a day, which is just kind of ludicrous. But uh, mm. on a mixed diet, you know, where I eat a lot of like, like white rice and stuff too, my fiber intake is still pretty low. It's not like crazy high. So it's enough for me to tolerate. Yeah, I, I feel like it would be hard for me to get a lot of fiber in the diet. It just doesn't make sense to me to eat tons of fiber. Um, okay, so when did, so use three years ago, you did beef water diet from zero, the zero carb community. When did you start adding the carbs in, the starches in? Excuse um, me, after that, probably, I just ate lunch. Probably, that's okay. Probably about a year and a half after I'd started the carnivore diet. I'd spent probably half a year doing mainly just fruit and honey and stuff on top yeah. of a meat-based diet. And then I there's, you know, there's just like this, uh, that metabolic fuel of starch is something I was missing that, that slower burning kind of like energy you're going to have all throughout the day. And I realized starch was that, was that fuel that I needed. And once I was eating more rice, especially rice, rice is like a staple for me still, but I ate a lot of rice and um, that fuel I have for, throughout the day is something that no other food, um, has given me before, you know, fruit doesn't really do that. Um, simple sugars don't so much, but the starch does. Yeah, I agree for my own kind of experiments. I've noticed that if I eat rice, I'm walking a lot faster and have more endurance. Um, so there is something really amazing about rice and starch. I mean, starch is a really beautiful molecule too. And it's just so easy for your body to turn it into glycogen, break it down the polysaccharides into the monosaccharides. So you know, for all the people that say we didn't involve eating carbs, it's like we're clearly so amazing at breaking it down into glucose. And then you feel the benefits right there. You have energy yep. to with the starch. It's a unique energy. So it's really good that you're kind of uh, perceptive in, in, enough to see the difference in your energy output. Um, okay, great. So then mentally, how did you how did you start to feel differently kind of mentally from these switches from beef to water, fruit? with the fruit, the hunter gather wannabe lifestyle, and then yeah. the starches. Uh, going back to starch was like coming back to life, you know? Wow. Uh, yeah. It, you know, I was smiling more. I was happier. I was um, just in a mentally better place. I felt more mentally balanced. Um, I, I feel a lot more mentally balanced eating a lot more starch. And uh, I don't know. I'm just a happier person now. I don't feel grumpy. I don't feel... Uh, I don't feel burned out. I felt like I was just, you know, running through stress hormones for a long time. And now my body is a lot more balanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the feeling of running through your stress hormones is a, is a really interesting feeling. Um, you know, initially it might feel like you feel great, but then 
when you get the energy back in, it's more like you're rolling down a hill instead of like always trying to push up energy up the hill. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, so that was a year and a half ago. Um, what's that transition been like from year and a half ago, finally adding rice back into your diet and where you are now? The transition was, uh, at first, you know, I actually felt like I was, uh, my blood sugar was kind of a little unstable when I first started introducing um, those foods back in. And uh, the longer I've gone, though, just the more stable things seem. I, I don't, I'm not testing my my blood sugar, so I can't say for sure, but I felt I would have crashes, you know, after some of those meals for a while. Like if I ate a big starch meal, I'd, I'd have a little bit of a crash. But now everything's stable, super stable. So, um, yeah, I think maybe years of doing keto and having extreme diets back and forth, going from keto and carnivore and veganism before that, I feel like there might have been some kind of metabolic problems there. But uh, things have leveled out now that I have a healthier approach to food. It just may take some time for people to for their body to rebalance to something that is that's appropriate for them, you know. What are your thoughts on weight gain and weight loss on, you know, a zero carb diet versus a balanced, more higher carb diet with starches? Have, have you noticed extreme fluctuations and differences? Um, no, I mean, I feel like now I have a pretty healthy relationship with food. Um, when I was on the zero carb diet, my, my weight was very stable at around 170, which was too low for me a little bit too low, but, um, I've also kept that same weight on a high starch, a high, high carb diet as well. I feel like, um, food palatability is a big thing on a, on a zero carb diet. Food palatability is so low that it, I had to eat more than I wanted to just to kind of stay at a healthy weight. And on a very low fat diet, it's kind of the same thing. You have to eat a little more than you want to, to, to maintain weight. And I, I eat a balance of macronutrients. Now it's not extreme one way or the other, but, uh, yeah, my body just seems to have a pretty natural ability to stay where I want it to be now. Great. And what are your, you know, future health goals from taking taking things to the next level if that's your goal? Um, I just want to age well, you know. I want to I have two kids. I'd like to stay in really good shape. Uh I'd like to get my cardio up. You know, I I lift, but I'd like to be able to do more hiking and biking, which I can now. I just haven't had the time for it, but uh I don't have any crazy goals. I'm not trying to be a ninja warrior or you know, be a professional athlete, but, uh, yeah, I want to be, I want to be healthier than my peers, you know? So I'm 30 now, I'll be 31 in July. A lot of people around me are aging very poorly and I don't, I don't want to be that. And how do you, what are you going to do to kind of avoid, uh, extremism now? Like what have you kind of learned when you, when you go out and try to practice aging healthfully, how do you kind of see, see the world and, and take the advice that you feel like is the best? Um, I don't want to take advice from anyone now. That's kind of my thing. It's just like, I, you know, I've seen a lot of your videos on intuitive eating and, um, I've made a few on those as well. And, uh, that's, it's kind of an abstract term, but it's something you kind of have to personally learn. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just at an age now, I guess, from a lot less gullible and naive than I've been in the past, you know, a little more stable and, um, being slow and steady with any changes that I make and not being quick to jump into something new. And also realizing that looking back at my life, whenever I jumped into a new um, kind of orthorexic tendency, it was because it was, it was prefaced with some kind of emotional, you know, problem. So I now know that if I'm, if I go through something that's hard in life that I can't, you know, I, I'll, I'll realize that if some, some new like eating fad comes up, I'll know that I'm going towards it because I'm, I'm dealing with stress or anxiety and I need to address it a different way.
No, yeah, it's very interesting. There's there's really a root um, emotion motivation for a lot of these diets. Um, great. So I think we covered everything here. Do you have any concluding thoughts for people considering the carnivore diet or currently on the carnivore diet and just for everyone listening? Hmm. I would say if you're on the carnivore diet and you feel great, um, continue. But 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 make sure you're not projecting into some you know, into some future that's not going to happen for you. Like if you think, Oh, if I just give us another year, I'm going to feel great. Like you may not just because, uh, just because some, a couple of anecdotes of people out there look fantastic. Like maybe like Joe and Charlene Anderson is one example. Like it doesn't mean you're going to have that success and, uh, just be honest with yourself, whatever diet you're on, if you can be honest and detach yourself from the ideology and detach yourself from, from some of those false belief systems, you might be able to listen a little more closely to yourself and, I think that's the biggest thing is, is listening to yourself more than your ideology. Well, th you guys heard it. That's, that's exactly, I agree with that hundred percent. So Chris, thank you so much for joining me today yeah, and so uh, good luck on your channel and everything. I'll, I'll share that with everybody in the description. Thanks for listening guys. Peace.